0: Before we start this episode today, I just wanna uh send my condolences to everyone who uh, lost anyone in the recent uh array of mass shootings, um, from El Paso to Dayton to the Garlic Festival and even to like mass shootings of the past. Um it this is a really a sad moment we live in. Um and I'm just so sorry that people still have to uh I I'm I'm so sad and so sorry that there's people in my hometown and people friends that I know that are now scared to go to Walmart. You know, they're scared to go just to the corner store cuz they don't know what might happen, you know. And so I just really wanted to take this episode to finally crack down on some issues that I really been wanting to crack down on this uh podcast but I just felt like it wasn't right yet. And you know, now I know that it's imperative for me to talk about this. Um so basically how this episode is going to go, um I'm going to speak on the threat the looming threat to our society first. Um and that being uh, the domestic terror known as white nationalism, I'ma speak on that first, and then I'ma segue into some gun arguments and in, in in the gun debate. So this is gonna be a very comprehensive episode. So it's gonna be one of those long episodes that you you might need a break from. You might need to you know digest and breaks. So you know, just warning you guys, uh, this will be a, a a very lengthy episode, but. Um I just want you guys to hear every single part of this because you know you know I want cuz in this episode we're going to comprehensively break down everything what everyone has been thinking so you know just stick with me and thank you guys so much let's go <music> So often when we, you know, are in this situation, because we've been in this situation before, you know, and to the T, I'm talking about the situation of where we had a mass shooting and it was prompted by a white nationalist or a Nazi or, you know, uh, someone who had nationalistic or white supremacist ties. So, you know, instead of, like, that, you know, going and dissecting the ideology is like a lot of us keep this thing surface. And even, you know, some Democrats and, you know, I'm not saying Democrats are out here being, you know, racist and ignoring what it is, because that's not true. Because, you know, they see that it's, you know, white supreme, you know, they see that it's white supremacy. And, you know, mainstream uh Democratic media does a great job of calling that out. Um, But, the problem is is that when they approach it is that they approach it from, like, either this mental health standpoint or this standpoint of basically, like, you know, even though, you know, we know that they're racist, we should just focus more on the gun aspect. and And that's absolutely, like, not true. We should focus on the gun, comprehensive gun reform, yes. But when we're talking about... The domestic terror that is white nationalism, we have to focus on its ideology and its ideology solely. So, you know, one of the first things, you know, with this episode, when, you know, we're going to answer the question of, you know, what is white nationalism? Um, Are they Nazis? Um, And basically, white nationalism is very disorganized, unpredictable and intricate. And intricate in the manner being that um, It's it's not like a, a social ideology um, There's many types of ways of thinking uh, when, 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 when it comes to white nationalism Like they have white supremacists uh, White supremacy being a broader umbrella term Which basically just means peop, White people who think white people are superior that, to everybody else And then you have white nationalists and those are people who people like Richard Spencers, um, people who basically believe that, you know, they're not racist because they're not saying we should eradicate people. We should just set up our own state. They just believe that white people should shut up their own state and all races should shut up their own state, which is, again, absolutely racist mm-hmm. <laughs> in the definition. Uh, so. You know, uh, you have white nationalists and then you have white nationalist socialists. And, you know, a lot of people want to call, you know, all white nationalists Nazis. And really, that's not the case. You know, theoretically, like when we're breaking down the ideology of it, because when we think about Nazism, we have to think about uh, nationalist socialists. Um, and, and that's the party that was, you know, basically uh, of Germany during World War II. Um, with the rise of Hitler, and you know what what nationalist socialists believe is it kind is kind of different from just the you know average white supremacists they believe in you know social programs and you know uh setting up social institutions, but just for white people <laughs> like like imagine being uh imagine being for corporations but uh, no imagine being against corporations like you 're a socialist but the reason why you're against corporations because you want to want them to accommodate to all black people i mean all white people, so it's like you're mad at corporations because corporations aren't accommodating to white people, so these are literally you know what Nazis are they're nationalists that are socialists to a degree um now, our socialism like my like you guys know I'm a socialist, um a progressive socialist uh or a social democrat. you guys could call me either or. But my socialism differs from the nationalist socialists. And we're going to have an episode um, about that later. But I really just want to wait for the perfect time because I really want to, you know, introduce you guys to theory, you know, in a fun way and not in like a long, dull, boring way. Because theory can get very boring, but... Um, hopefully one day we could do an episode about the difference between you know uh right wing socialism and left wing socialism cuz you know there is a difference you do have right wing socialism and in this case this is it you know this is a socialism that you know just cares about national nationalistic ties and just cares ab- about tribalism and uh egotistic collectivism so yeah, there's a difference between white nationalism and all the other stuff. So don't. So when they, when when one person's a Nazi, they have like these different ideologies. But um, basically, uh, I said that all to say that the El Paso shooter was a Nazi. It was a literal Nazi. When you looked at his manifesto, um, he advocated for things like, you know. Of oh, uh, corporations to pay their fair share, uh, he advocated for, you know, things like, you know, of course he advocated for tough immigration. That's the nationalist side, but he advocated for tough corporations and like I don't know if he had something about universal health care in there, but I think he did. I don't, but I'm not for sure. But yeah, so basically this guy was a socialist, but just a socialist for white people. So um, you know. And don't let Republicans try to conflate that term to say, oh, yeah, this, you know, white nationalist was a socialist. No, he's a Nazi. You know, <laughs> you just don't call white and na- uh, you just don't call Nazis socialists. No, you call them Nazis for a reason because they're nationalist socialists. Like like I said, you can have white uh, right wing socialism and left wing socialism. There is a difference. Um, but when we're talking about differences, uh, often when we start having this conversation about, you know, white nationalism being the biggest domestic terroristic threat, you know, right now. Because Christopher Ray, the FBI director, even said that, hey, you know, right now, that's the biggest thing right now. The biggest threat to our society is white nationalism. So when we start talking about white nationalism and crime, you often hear Republicans conflate to this argument of mental health reform. Because mental health reform is the thing we need to stop neighborhood crime, and so then you in them you, you, in turn you hear them compare neighborhood crime to crime done by of our mass shootings done by ideological monsters. So, and the thing about it is you can't do that simple for a, a array of reasons. One reason is that. While both are usually disorganized, I'm talking about you know the uh, mass shootings done by a white supremacists and neighborhood crime. While both are usually disorganized and a dangerous threat to our society, one act is promoted by an ideological belief, while neighborhood crime is normally temporal and done in the heat of the moment, or heat of the passion. It's like premeditated versus temporal. Like when you think about neighborhood crime, neighborhood crime is normally so easy to uh, easily preventable because, first of all, you could take a steps to you could take steps to uh, stop neighborhood crime. You know, Um not saying that if neighborhood crime happens to you, that is your fault. No, that's not that, that's not it at all. But what I am saying is that with neighborhood crime, you can take extra steps and extra measures to ensure your safety. But you know, with mass shootings, you really can't, you know, if you just walk inside a Walmart, you know, you're not going to be prepared to go to war as you shouldn't because we live in United States of America and you're walking into a Walmart. So, you know, you're not, you know, if you didn't bring your gun, yeah, you weren't supposed to bring your gun. That it, it, it makes sense, you know, or, you know, so those are the two main differences is that, you know, you can't really compare the two because, one is temporal and in the heat of the moment, in the heat of passion, and one is done, you know, premeditated and and really prompted by ideals, really prompt, prompted with ideals. And another difference is that, what um, what well, 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 not another difference, but another thing people have to uh, take into consideration is that white neighborhood crime and black neighborhood crime actually happen around the same rates. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of times, well, let me, instead of straw man in an argument, let me just uh, give you an example. Recently, I had the chance to debate a GOP activist um, on our local news uh, channel, and I absolutely dunked on him, like, I really murdered him, like, it was sad, like, give me my two points, like, type shit. But anyway, when uh, we were talking about the mass shootings, um, and then he said that, you know well you know we talking about these white people doing these mass shootings i know you know black kids who got dracos and you know guns and they trap. and it's like yeah like that's a thing yeah you're absolutely right that does go on and 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 that has to be stopped and comprehensively it's going to take more than just banning all guns to stop that um but but what you have to understand is that you're conflating you're literally conflating an ideological monster, somebody who was set out, who had the intent to kill multiple people just for the hell of it, just for his racist ideology versus somebody who doesn't really have an ideology at all and just basically thinks preemptively off of survival, meaning that they just think in the heat of the moment. uh, And that's why this crime occurs. Absolutely malarkey. You can't, you're, you're conflating two different things and, 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 Yes, at the end of the day, both of these issues need to be solved, but we need to solve them in two different ways. So don't conflate these things like, you know, uh, uh, a black person without a mental illness uh, equals to them being in the streets and selling drugs. And the white person uh, with a mental illness equates them to shooting up fucking a mall or a Walmart. No, that's not true. Actually white neighborhood crime and black neighborhood crime happen around the same rate. You know, when we're talking about this white-on-white crime, this black-on-black crime, yeah, well, if you would say black-on-black crime happens at high rates, white-on-white crime happens at high rates, too. So, um, yeah, so uh, while white nationalism is the highest form of terrorism we currently face, Meaning that neighborhood crime could be looked at as a community issue. White nationalism is a threat to our whole nation. And, you know, we see that, you know, you know, anytime somebody just goes up to a Walmart and kills 20 people and they're looking for specifically Mexican nationals. That person is a threat to our whole society, not just a community. You know, and even even when you look at gang violence, gang violence has a different psychology than the mass shooter. While while both can be considered tribal, you can only compare them to the smallest degree. Gang violence psychology deals with more survival rather than manifestos. Mass shooters usually have the goal of killing people for their ideals, not for survival or opportunity. Now, again, killing somebody for survival or opportunity is still inherently bad, but when you break down the issues, you see that a lot of crime that neighborhood crime that happens in impoverished areas that could literally be solved by the area not being impoverished anymore, like that, that, that it can literally be solved by that. But with these white nationalists, it's not enough to just say, Oh, well, mental ill health, mental, uh, we need mental health reform. No, it's not enough for that. Because what, what are you saying that racists just have mental illnesses? Like, so everybody that was racist, like. Back in the day, like, like they just had mental illnesses. Uh, Or, well, uh, uh, and then I hear somebody say, no, uh, that's historical context, dude. It's just the fact if if you're racist right now, it's not normal. So, yeah, you technically do have a mental, like, okay, so basically people who are not normal have mental illnesses. So basically everyone that everyone who doesn't adhere to normality has mental illnesses. You know, people who kill people don't adhere to normality. And, you know, people who, you know, rob people don't adhere to normality. But we we should just say they are like it, it, it makes no sense. Like, no, these these, you know, these white racist people do not have mental disorders. They are just racist. And. You know, the reason why we haven't cracked down on white nationalism as we should is because of one fact. It's because when Christopher Ray testified and said that white nationalism is the biggest domestic terroristic threat to our nation, he, don't, he turned around and said, but we don't focus on ideology. No, we just focus on the violence. That meaning that a white nationalist, a white nationalists, or a white supremacist doesn't get into their radar until they start promoting violence, or, or until something on their page starts saying, "Hey, I'm about to be violent." And so it's funny when you you hear that because when you talk, when when we're talking about counterterrorism against Muslim jihadists. That's all FBI and counterintelligence like to focus on, is their ideology. That's all they focus on. That's how they know the ins and outs of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban. Because that's all they focus on, is ideology. And then they focus on this ideology, this Islamic ideology, that's why you hear Sharia law being thrown around all the time because they was like, okay, this is what they believe in and they just want to take over, you know, the world with their ideology. You hear this all the time. You hear this on Fox and Friends. You hear this, you know, from, you know, FBI officials. So, it's funny that when we're talking about the biggest threat to our security right now, which is white nationalism, we don't focus on ideology. And, like, I I, I don't only have to use Muslims as a, a, an example because, you know, we can even use the past and we can even use the Black Panther Party and how they were deemed as communists and how the FBI looked up and down their ideology. All right, let's just go to communism, the Red Scare, the 1920s. The FBI was looking at ideology then. But for some reason, for some strange reason, we don't want to look at ideology now when it's, you know, white nationalism. And and why is that? Why do you think that is? Simple. Some of you already know and some of you don't. But if you don't know, now you know. The reason why the government, the FBI, does not want to crack down specifically on ideology of white nationalism even though it's the biggest threat to our society right now And they've cracked on other ideologies From other religions and other uh, ideologies The reason why they don't want to crack down on it now On this right now Because at the end of the day that will cause, it, would, it would cause so much division Simply for this reason Because that white nationalism Still has a faction in the Republican Party If you didn't hear me, I'm going to say it again White nationalism still has a faction in the Republican Party From its voters, to its uh, constituency, to the people uh, To its constituents, when you, when you, when you see uh, the elected officials When you see people like Stephen King Stefan Miller, this racist administration, uh, the guy that's ahead of uh, citizenship and immigration services, basically saying that, you know, that welcoming quote on the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that was just for Europeans. We have a racist administration. So with a racist president. So it's just like the Republican Party still it's has a faction of white nationalism. And that's the problem. And that's why the FBI is not cracking down on ideology, because if they will crack down on ideology, they would have to pull up to Fox and Friends. Because when you read this guy's manifesto, all you see is Hispanic invasion. We have to protect our borders. This crisis, we we have to you know avert this crisis. Every all this everything in his manifesto was regurgitated from. Fox People like uh, Tucker Carlson This is where El Paso Shooter got his manifesto from So it's like It makes so much sense Why they just want to Completely ignore it But if we want to save People from getting shot And getting killed At High capacity is in a high level. First, we need gun reform, absolutely, but we need to crack down on white nationalism as an ideology. Uh, the best thing we can do as citizens is condemn it every time we see it. Uh, every time you see a white nationalist uh, Facebook group page, or you know, a group, uh, a social media group, or an organization, report that page, report that organization. Uh, just keep reporting them every time you see them uh, when you see some racists like some real real racist white nationalist Nazi shit, you report it like that and that's that 's the only thing we could do to do our part as citizens. The only thing we can do is continue to condemn it because you know this thing isn 't in the Overton window it 's not you know, but it 's the fact that these people are being Breaded and taught and radicalized by mainstream media, mainstream Republican media, Sinclair Broadcasting. So it's like it's up to the FBI and counterintelligence to do their fucking job to ensure that the American people are safe. But, as far as white nationalism goes, the only thing we can do is just continue to condemn it as citizens. But, of course, with this white nationalist argument, we always have, you know, the argument or the always, you know, looming argument of guns and what is comprehensive gun reform and what does it look like and do we need to get rid of guns in this country? And We're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about the gun argument. We're going to show you some uh, statistics about why, you know, comprehensive gun reform would absolutely reduce mass shootings um, and reduce gun deaths. Um, And we're going to talk to you and and I'm going to tell you that right after this. So before we get into like the statistics of the gun argument... Uh, I really wanted to quickly go through like some face value gun arguments uh, because at the end of the day, you know, if we want to stop mass shootings, bro, we're going to have to do some comprehensive gun reform Gun reform, and that's the only way is that's going to ensure our safety if we want to make sure that we're safe. Um, so here's a lot of face value arguments, but before I get into like the actual statistics of guns, here's some face value arguments that can easily be debunked. Um, that I want to go through um, because I know you guys hear this a lot. So I I, I want if you're a leftist hearing this, I want uh, you to hear these arguments and hear how I debunk them, and so that can help you and give you some insight when talking to your more uh, gun fanatic friends. Uh, and if you're not a leftist, if you're you know somebody of a different ideology, um, I hope you hear this and you be like, hey, well, he has a good point. And even if you disagree with me, just let me know. But uh, basically one of the main face value arguments I hear all the time is uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And like, first of all, this is such a, I feel like it's, it's a straw manned argument because I feel like people are saying that, you know, all leftists want a ban on all guns, which is not true. A lot of leftists, a lot of people just want comprehensive gun reform. Like yes, I take it a step far further and say, you know, I want to ban assault weapons. uh, So you know, so yeah, you can tag me on that. But even if you said that, okay, assault weapons don't kill people; people kill people. I always hated that argument because yes, we understand that idly a gun. and an, idly an assault weapon cannot shoot someone It needs a user in order for it to be used Yes we understand that But like Childish Cambino made the parallel a long time ago Saying AR assault weapons don't kill people People kill people Is the same as saying uh, toast, uh, uh, toast doesn't toast toast People put it in a toaster Like yes we understand that you know you need somebody, to, a user, to press down on the toaster for the toast to actually toast. Yes, we understand that, but what's the, what's the main purpose of the toaster? To toast the toast. It's not like you could just take the bread and then put both of your hands on it and like you're going to toast it. No, you need that toaster to toast that bread. Um, s- same thing for the assault weapon. We have to remember that in at the end of the day, the assault weapon was made for what purpose? To kill a high capacity of people in a short period of time. So know that argument is completely trash. Um, Another gun argument you hear a lot is guns ensure safety. And you hear this on a collective uh, level and an individual level. So there's usually two arguments you hear when people say guns ensure safety. Um, One of the main arguments is, uh, well, you know what could stop a bad guy with a gun? a good guy with a gun, which collectively has proven to be absolutely not true. Even when you look at the Dayton mass shooting, uh, who, who, that wasn't prompted by a certain manifesto, but even when you look at the Dayton shooting, the guy died in 30 seconds and still was able to kill a lot of people. And even when you look at the El Paso shooting, a military official did have a weapon on the scene. He had a concealed carry license. But the thing was, he couldn't get to where the shooter was because he had to worry about the people in his proximity and making sure they were okay. And if we're talking about, you know, collectively... All of us just being armed so we can protect ourselves from mass shootings. Okay, what if that happened in the El Paso shooting? What if, you know, we all got on our, like, MetaGear Solid type shit and we just started hopping behind crates um, shooting people and, and, well, shooting at the uh, mass shooter and the police come? And the police can't de-escalate the situation because they aren't trained to, you know, weed out who's on their side of a shootout. Like, no. They're not trained for that So it's just like When when we understand collectively No, that's absolutely trash A bad guy will not always stop a good guy with a gun Uh, I mean, a a good guy isn't going to always stop a bad guy with a gun A good guy with a gun just means that he's that A good guy with a gun That does not mean that that good guy won't die in the gunfight That does not mean that the good guy will win the gunfight It just means that the good guy has a gun Which, if you ask me in thesis, I do feel comfortable with over the psychomaniac who has one. But even when you look at individual empirical-based evidence, the fact when people say that I use my gun for home defense and to keep my home safer, when you look at actual empirical-based evidence, guns actually put you in more precarious situations. Like, uh, uh, there was a uh, a research... uh, Study done by this Group uh, and it was uh, it was a, a site That was posted uh, it, w- it was uh, Cited by the Washington Post And uh, the study Was done in 2014 by the Annals of Internal Medicine And they see in the in and, and with That research uh, They learned that With one Gun in the household for self Defense with one gun in a Household for self defense th- That doubles the risk of homicide happening in that household. And with one gun in the house, it triples the risk of suicide in that household. So when people say that I got guns and I'm, I'm getting guns just strictly for self-defense, what you got to understand is, even though in, in, in thesis, in your head, that sounds like the safest route, in all reality, having a gun in your house actually makes you way less safer and actually puts you in more precarious situations. Chances that a gun is used in a do- domestic dispute, a suicide, or an accident is way higher than if a gun was actually used for self-defense. So consider these things when you're talking about these arguments of You know, well, guns ensure safety A good guy stops a bad guy with, A good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun No, you know, guns make us all less safer Guns put us all in uh, dangerous situations So, um, and then another thing to consider Is that home invasions are relatively rare anyway So when you're talking about self-defense Like, you know, you'll probably never have to use the gun and And that's why you know it's way higher a chance of a suicide taking place in your house is way higher than somebody breaking into your house and you having to use that gun um uh oh and and before i go into some more uh, gun statistics i really wanted to show this uh consistent these uh statistics, statistics over uh gun consensus uh in 2017, the NBC, NBC, and Wall Street Journal polled Americans, and they seen that 38 percent of Americans say that guns reduce safety, meaning that 38 percent of Americans say that guns uh make it make this a precarious place to live in, and 58 percent of people, or a majority of people, 58 percent say guns. Ensure safety, meaning guns make sure that we're protected. Guns actually protect us. And when you just seen the statistics, that said the opposite, that said the complete opposite. So it's like, basically, the majority of the country doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about, and it's beautiful. But what's even more beautiful about this particular NBC and Wall Street Journal poll is that this poll was administered in '94. Uh, I think either 94 or 95, but it was amidst the assault rifle ban. And when they administered, it, they seen that, you know, the minority now with the majority of then, the majority of people said back then in 94, that guns reduce safety, which they actually do. When we look at statistics, guns actually do reduce safety. And then the minority said guns ensure safety, meaning guns protect us. So, I just wanted to tell you guys that because it shows how you know one how regressive we've become over time and two how socio-political narratives could really change the consensus of a society. You know, the fact that we we understood the stati- uh, fact that we understood facts, <laughs> the fact we understood that guns made this a uh, play. Uh, a dangerous place to live in. Well, the fact that we understood that and the fact that we don't now, yeah, it kind of shows that like socio political narratives really perverted our sense of basic thinking. So don't, you know, don't put the facts over your favorite politician, please. You know, put the facts over your favorite influencer. Whether that person be a conspiracy theorist, whether that person just be a regular independent thinker, put facts over them. Put empirical-based facts over them, because that's what you have to do. Um, and just here's some more gun statistics uh, uh, when, when we're talking about home defense. Uh, this, these statistics were cited by the Violence Policy Center which uh, they cited these statistics directly from the FBI. And these statistics say for one justified homicide, meaning uh, homicide done in self-defense, for one justified homicide, there are 34 criminal homicides, 78 suicides, and two accidental gun deaths. Say that again. For one justified homicide, meaning a homicide in self-defense, there are 34 criminal homicides, 78 suicides, and two accidental gun deaths. So, it just shows that, yeah, guns do not ensure safety at all. They just put us in more precarious situations. And then, you know, there's always this uh, thing of, you know, guns don't stop crime. Like, yes, we understand it. Like, you know, my point from earlier, guns do not completely stop crime, you know, But when we're talking about certain crimes and and I don't understand why people look, I I feel like people come at this argument so simplistic that it's like, damn, do you really need to graduate with a criminal justice degree to understand that, you know, that there's different type of crimes and those crimes are usually impacted and uh, uh, impacted by different things and so the way to reduce these crimes are different ways and we haven't seen yet that a hey, doing this draconian style law and just having the police have all the authority and crack down harder on citizens we haven't seen that that hasn't worked yet the war on drugs hasn't worked yet the war on drugs hasn't worked yet you know the war on the street culture hasn't worked yet Why? Oh, yeah, probably because drafting draconian and authoritarian laws is actually counterproductive to helping our society. So, just going back to the guns don't reduce crime thing. Yes, they don't uh, reduce, you know, they don't completely halt crime. They don't. But what they do do, and what was seen throughout the 94... Through '04 ban is that they do re- reduce mass shootings by 41%. Mass shootings, yes, they reduced mass shootings by 41% through '94 to '04, and right after the ban was uh, uplifted, meaning that you know assault right uh, weapons were allowed back into the United States, then soon it was implemented. It went the mass shooting rate immediately went up to 200%. Went up 200%. So, <laughs> it's like, bruh, guns, like, like banning AR-15s or, or banning assault weapons, period, will a- absolutely reduce gun deaths and will absolutely reduce mass shootings. But no, it will not stop crime. How we stop crime in neighborhood areas then, Jalen? Well, I don't know. Start actually advocating for policies that help people, um, uh, utilitarian policies that actually help people get up off their feet so they don't even have to worry about crime in the first place. Or even if they're not worried about crime, help somebody have the upper mobility to get off their feet to where they can move out of their neighborhood that's infested with crime. But, uh, see, we're living in a nation now to where there's zero upper mobility for the people at the bottom. Great upper mobility for the people at the top. And so, we're literally living in, in a society to where if you're born in a situation, you can't get out of it. Statistically, you just won't get out of it. Statistically. I'm not bullshitting you guys. Lower middle class and... Working class people who are in impoverished areas have zero, uh, have little to zero upward mobility compared to upper middle class people and people in the upper echelon. So, how we solve crime that happens in these impoverished communities? Make sure these communities aren't impoverished anymore. Simply, how can we do that? Oh, uh, well, advocating for uh, social justice pro- programs that, you know, actually uplift the human being to where, like, not giving them free stuff, but just giving them, making sure that they don't have to focus on the basic utilities of life. And, and the, one of those utilities of life being Medicare for all. Over 66% of people, over half of people in, in America say that their debt includes medical, medical bills. Just, just imagine if nobody had to worry about medical bills. Just imagine when I, you don't have to worry about college. You don't have to worry about paying for college. See, but that's the thing. The right doesn't want the lower class to have this upper mobili- mobility at all. They don't want the a lower class... Workers to have this chance to rise up. They don't want that at all. So they're just going to say, hey, what's causing neighborhood crime is video games and the music. And, 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 and I have two problems with that because the main problem is that they're going to say, you know, neighborhood crime causes, uh, is caused by video games. And in, um, in, in the type of music we listen to, and then they're going to conflate that again with white nationalists who have like this racist ideology. But even when you go to the center of what's wrong with neighborhood crime, for you to simply stop at you know music and video games is doltish and childlike at its best. Like that's such a childlike argument. Like. All of these are childlike arguments. All of these are just arguments done in headspace. When you look at empirical-based evidence from the Oxford Internet Institute, the most comprehensive study done on video games linked to aggression, you see that video games do not cause violence at all and that they don't cause aggression. And 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 the aggression that might be caused is actually caused from the difficulty of the video game, meaning that it's frustrating to play the video game, meaning that more teens got more aggressive from playing a game like Dark Souls versus Call of Duty. But see, the Republicans would think that, no, it's, it's opposite. They'll get more aggression from playing Call of Duty because it's going to... Te- no, the aggression comes from the difficulty of the game, not the imagery in the game. And then when you talk about music... Saying that, oh, well, um, all these trap rappers, they these trappers, they influence in our streets and dirty in our streets. Like, bro, all these people doing is rapping about their lives. So you're really going to say it's the Migos' fault to why, like, we're in this position that we're in? Or you're going to say it's the City Girls' fault? It's Cardi B's fault because we're in a position that we're in? Just because they make songs about, you know, beating people up and killing them? Or selling dope? Like, no, they just rap about what they've experienced. This has been going on forever. They didn't cause this. We know who caused the war on drugs and actually I- implemented wars, uh, drugs into our community. Uh, ever since the Mercury News article came out that showed that <laughs> Ronald Reagan did it, but we're not even going to focus on that. But what I am going to say is that To simply say that music and video games is the cause of it is just such a childlike point to come from. You can tell that you're just thinking in all headspace and you haven't debated anybody a day in your life when you say shit like that. I, I can tell you haven't debated anybody a day in your life when you say that music is the reason why we have, you know, fucked up minds or whatever. Like, no, when musicians literally get their fucked up music from this fucked up world. So it's just like y'all don't understand how art works. <laughs> like y'all don't understand that art is normally inspired by the person's habitat and what's around them. Uh whatever. Uh but so so yeah, that's completely stupid. And when I was on the uh show uh like I told you guys earlier about um debating the uh guy, the Republican guy, um when I was on uh, the local news station debating him about this, his final point was, you know, we had, after I dunked on him on everything else, his final point was, we need a spiritual awakening. We need to put uh, the Bible back into schools. We need to put prayers back into school. Uh, We need to put in God we trust back into the school. And like, and that shit is so stupid. And recently, I've seen uh, Louisiana make that same move with uh, John Bell Edwards. And brief side, segue to John Bell Edwards. Fuck you, bro. John Bell Edwards, you are not a fucking Democrat. You are a fucking Republican. And fuck you, bro. I did. I fucking did gigs for you, bro. I block walk for you. Yes, I block walk for John Bell Edwards. I even played for John Bell Edwards. Yes, it's a long story that I'm not going to get into, but I helped him win that campaign, basically, and I feel shittier for it uh, looking back at it. But they did pay us a lot. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, uh, they talk about people, Republicans and social conservatives talk about we need this spiritual awakening in order to stop all this shit. And like it's not the spiritual awakening Marianne Williamson is talking about. It's the literal spiritual awakening of putting God, instituting God back into the state, saying "fuck uh, church," uh, the, the "fuck uh, the separation of church and state." Let's put the church back in the state because that's the problem with the state. When, and and that's just such a funny point because when people say that, it's like, have you ever like you you didn't stay in your history class for a week before you started skipping. And it's like, you know, it's like either you're, you're demigogging the fucker out of me right now, and like you're just lying to appeal to your base, or you literally just don't know history. Like history, how many times does history have to teach us that when you have a theocracy that's an, that's an authoritative state, it just leads to corruption. Hell, that's the main Republican talking point When they're talking about Going us into war with people like Iran Saying that they have a nationalistic Authoritative government Which they do And which other Middle Eastern countries do As well, yes And I will not disagree with that But Are we going to turn around and dog them For having that And then say that, oh no, we should have it When we Live in a pluralistic society, a society of multiple religions, of multiple multiple beliefs? Like, didn't we even see from the past, like from the past, that implementing an authoritative Christian state, when we look at the Holy Roman Empire, when we look at the Spanish Inquisition, when we look at the Crusades, when we look at the Great Schism, like when we look at these things... Haven't we seen that having a Christian authoritative state will just lead to corruption? We have seen that a plethora of times. So how many times like, do we have to be in the situation and, and for, for Republicans to just use the same talking point over and over and over? Like, Either you're lying to your base, which is by definition demagoguery, or you're just straight up incapable of understanding history. Either or you shouldn't. You're you're sucking at your job, and, and you shouldn't, you know, be preaching to anybody. But uh, side note, uh, when I said that to uh, the the guy who I debated on the news, he was like, "Bro, I don't even know what pluralism is." Like, and it was just so funny because I dunked on him that whole debate. But basically, when we're when, when we're coming when we're talking about these difficult conversations to have when we're talking about specifically white nationalism we we have to not just focus on the violence fbi christopher way we have to focus on the ideology and we have to focus on who's radicalizing this idea, who's radicalizing these people and if it's our president that's radicalizing these people This guy, this El Paso shooter Literally liked the picture of Trump Spelled out in guns He liked the picture So if these people are getting radicalized By the president By the president's administration By the establishment By Fox and Friends By Fox News Then we need to crack down on these networks And the red flags need to be these networks At the end of the day Because they are they are sowing division into this country. They are sowing dissent into this country. They are social politicizing issues that are not supposed to be social politicized. That would normally be an everyday uh, 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 an uh, an everybody consensus. What a consensus to where everybody agrees on will uh, something that'll be normally uncontroversial is non controversial just because Republicans. Want to be demagogues At the end of the day So this is why all this shit is going on We have an establishment Or a faction Of the Republican Party That is being protected by the Republican Party In it's white nationalism If Roy Moore wins the Republican primary again, you'll see the direction of the Republican Party. You'll see. You'll start. uh, You should already see how regressive the Republican Party is now. uh, But that that alone, man, that shit alone. The fact that they social politicized abortion, that alone. Like Republicans have this thing to where like. Shit that we already decided, like, like decades ago, like, they decided to say, oh, how about we bring this up and say fuck this shit because, you know, my Christian values just won't allow me to agree with this. These guys are regressive, man. And then Bill crystal neocon, chicken hawkish motherfucker, wanna get on Twitter and say, I cite an article that says that Donald Trump needs to be primary because... This racism and this dissent is not what we encourage. Great, yeah, totally. If you're a leftist, you should say that. But Bill Crystal, you need to shut the fuck up. You are the neocon that goaded us in the war. You and your party. You are still supporting and not condemning racists that are in your party. In your party. This is why people are like Justin Amash are leaving. Because of people like you. so hopefully we can get into eventually I, I at least want us to focus on this for 2035 but we get to get to a position where our 2030 where the republican party is no longer a party and not not exactly and i don't want the democratic party to be just once i just don't want it to be a one party state I want the Democratic Party to split into parties after that, you know, so we can see who the moderates and the progressives are. But at this point, honestly, the Republican Party is going to be eradicated due to progress and the fact that they're never going to focus on progress. So they are going to be eradicated with time. But it's like a necessity for us to get them out of office. Not only a necessity on the national level. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a necessity for us to win the national Senate you know, and take it back from Mitch McConnell. And yes, it's a huge necessity to win the presidency in 2020 and, and, and put a real progressive in office. Um, but it, more importantly, we have all these state legislators. I think 61% of state legislators in the country are Republican. So this is what we need to start doing, man. We need to start. We're already working on it from where I'm from. Uh, We have coalitions set up, uh, different coalitions set up to get people elected in our areas. Start looking for a House and Senate state seats. Start looking for state people to run for state seats. Democrats that could run, progressives that can run, run for state seats near you and in your district. Remember that. This is what we're going to need. It's going to take a complete overhaul of the Republican Party if we want to stop this, if we want to ensure that we have a better society, if we want mental health reform for impoverished communities, and if we want social uh, distributive justice for impoverished communities, we need to overhaul the Republican government. If we want to actually put a dent in mass shootings, we have to completely you know, overhaul the Republican government. And this is even in our state legislators. So if you have any questions about on how to do that, please be free to hit me up on one of my personal accounts. Uh, I, I'm Kismet, Kismet underscore Adonis at, uh, on Instagram. So it's Kismet underscore Adonis. Kismet is spelled uh, K-I-S-M-E-T underscore a d o n i s and then you can follow me on uh Twitter at gasper jalen just basically my name back uh my uh first name my last name first and my la- my first name backwards um gasper jalen uh you can follow me on Twitter uh you can follow me on Facebook and you can even hit me up on one of the podcasts if you wanted to uh but uh hit me up personally so I could uh, be the first to see it and so I can let and so I can help you out and let you know what you can start doing to ensure that, you know, you start seeing blue around where you live. Um, But that's really all we have for today. Um, I'm so sorry for this very, very long episode. Um, If you guys made it this far, I want to thank you guys so much for making it this far. Um, I really want to encourage you guys to, uh, you know, just stay politically active, man. Like, and, and people in my area, if you want to know how to do that, just hit me up, man. Please. And, again, if you guys have questions, suggestions about what we should go over on the podcast, or if you just want to come on the podcast one day, just hit us up at uh, E2ThePodcast um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's E2ThePodcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Um, remember to stay safe and... Uh, let's get these Republicans out of office. (laughs) Y'all have a good one, man. Peace.